Welcome to Gleaning and Gathering. I'm your host, Eric Heimlich, and I'm here today with uh, Dr. Stephen Gibson. He's the president of Evangelistic Faith Missions, and he's also the head of Holiness Pilgrim Mission and uh, works together with uh, Shepherd's Global Classroom and who knows what else. (laughs) He wears lots of hats, but uh, get to uh, catch up with him here today. And so uh, welcome to the studio, Dr. Gibson. Thank you. Good to be with you. So you've been working in missions for lots of years. In fact, uh, you were the very first professor that I had at Union Bible College in Westfield, Indiana. I had uh, Corinthians with you at 7 o'clock in the morning my freshman year, and so you were uh, my introduction to uh, Union Bible College. So we go back a long way. But uh, tell us about how you got involved in missions to begin with. You were a professor at a Bible college and uh, kind of on that track, and uh, then all of a sudden God took you in a new direction. Uh, How did that happen? Well, I was teaching at UBC, And I really thought I'd probably stay there all my life. We were happy there and liked the area. And I was invited to go teach a class in Ukraine, a two-week trip, and almost didn't go. I was very busy teaching a lot of classes, working part-time, but I prayed about it, felt like I should. There's there's a long story in that in itself. But I went, and within just a couple days, began to feel like God was calling us to go there. Hmm. So came back. I taught for one more year after that at UBC, but during that time we did deputation, and when the school year ended, we went to Ukraine. Yeah. So your role there while you were in Ukraine, talk about a little bit about that. What, what did that involve? I started out as a teacher in the Bible college, and the second year, I think it was, or maybe even during the first year, I became academic dean and continued with that for the whole time we were there. My last year there, I was the director of the Bible College. The director had left the country, so it was an exciting place. We loved being there. We helped start a little church downtown mm-hmm. with student help. Yeah, it was exciting. Made a trip into Russia, up into um, kind of a remote area. Got to participate in evangelism in small villages around through the area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was exciting. Yeah. So after you came back from uh, from Ukraine... Uh, there was uh, kind of an interlude there where you were doing some other things, and then you began to get involved uh, with us there in Indianapolis. Talk a little bit about that. How did that come about? Well, I came to UBC, was there for a year, and then went from there to Columbus, Indiana, where we taught for two years in a Christian school and preached there. And during that time, did some of the writing for GBS that we worked on. Mm -hmm. And at some point, I think while we were in Indianapolis, we had started making, I started going down and doing some teaching. I think they were Tuesday night groups in the inner city. Remember that. And continued that off and on, I guess, through that whole two and a half years or so. And at the end of the time there in Columbus, as we were praying about what God wanted us to do, we just really were drawn to become a part of the, the work going on in Indianapolis. Yeah. So how many years were you there total? I'm trying to remember now. In Indianapolis? Yeah. Oh, I... See, you came in 2007? I think it was almost 10 years altogether that we lived there. And then when I first came, my role was somewhat undefined. Then I became pastor, I don't remember, a year or two in. Yeah. Pastored for five years, I believe. Yeah. And then we still lived in Indianapolis two or three years after that before we moved down to Bedford. Yeah. So you got involved with Holiness Pilgrim Mission 
and we're the director there first. Talk a little bit about that. What what is that role kind of? Include? I was on the board for a year or two, and then the director Winfield Poe was wanting to retire, mm-hmm. and so they asked me to consider it. I prayed about it, and at first told them that I was not feeling any direction, but they wanted me to keep praying about it. So mm-hmm. I did, and finally accepted that role and continued to pastor for a little while and then went full-time with HPM. And that was in 2011 that I began for them. Okay. And then you started working with Evangelistic Faith Mission in 2016, is that right? I think that's right. They approached me, wanted me to come on, Mm -hmm. and they agreed to let me continue with HPM, and HPM agreed to let me start with EFM. And so that's it's been a full life yeah. since then. Yes, yes. We moved from Indianapolis then to Bedford to be near the office. So talk a little bit about what we're doing now. While you were first starting with EFM, you were just kind of getting Liberia off the ground as a new ministry uh, with with EFM. And uh, since uh, 2016, 17, somewhere in there, um, things have really just expanded mm-hmm. in an amazing way. Talk about how that started and then where it's where it's kind of progressed to now. Okay. Well, the work in Liberia, there was a ministry team there that had been in contact with EFM for several years, really. Mm-hmm. And I had worked up a plan that I thought we should propose to them. Mm-hmm. We talked about it for a little while, and time went on. At that time, I was working for Brother Height. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the president. He came to my office one day, and he said, would you like to just take the Liberia thing and develop it and see what we can do there? And I said, yeah, I'd love to do that. So I ended up going by myself Hmm. to Liberia, and we launched Shepherd Institute of Liberia in that trip. And so they started a central institute. And that it's always had from 40 to 60 students at the Hmm. Central Institute. But our goal is to make ministry training local everywhere. So I introduced the idea of a franchise. Mm-hmm. And they weren't really familiar with that idea. But like McDonald's or other chains of things, I said, we should have Shepherd Institute everywhere and make ministry training local. So we were really pioneering kind of a new model. Mm-hmm. I don't know of anything quite like this that had been done using the material from Shepherd's Global Classroom. And so we would offer this to a church, a strong church in an area that Mm -hmm. wanted to be the host of an institute. And so we would put up a sign in front of the building that would say Shepherd Institute of Liberia and also have their church name on it and whatever information they wanted to put. And then we would train the teachers and those sites were completely self-supporting. We didn't pay the teachers. We didn't pay for the building. It was their ministry. We would provide the courses and they would help cover the cost. They don't cover it completely but they help. Mm -hmm. And so we now have 24 of those sites with a total of 450 students. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And now it's grown beyond just in Liberia as well. uh, Hasn't it? Some of the the people that have found out about this are coming from other places and and wanting it in in other countries that are nearby. Mm -hmm. We were contacted by Jean Paul Cassi, who was a pastor in Ivory Coast or Cote d'Ivoire, the official name. And he had run across the courses somehow contacted us, wanted to know if we had any more in French. And I was going to be in Liberia, which borders Ivory Coast. And I asked him if he'd come there and meet me. And so he came well over 500 miles Mm. over some of the worst roads in the world. He was so excited about the courses. He said he was working with an organization that had been trying to plant churches, had given him the job of planting churches. 
and he recruits prospective pastors and places them in villages. Mm-hmm. And many times these are guys who have had almost no training, may not even have been Christians very long. Mm-hmm. And he puts them in a place to pastor and then follows up with them and tries to keep them going, tries to train them. In a period of 10 years, he had planted 40 churches like that. Wow. But he was really struggling. He was discouraged because they didn't have much depth. They didn't have much to preach. They couldn't answer questions. They just really needed a lot more stability, and he didn't have anything to use. So he was excited about the courses. He got to get familiar with what we were doing. He got to see one of the graduations, Mm -hmm. and he went back and started Shepherd Institute of Ivory Coast. And so we partnered with him, helped him set up. And he's been, turned out to be a very committed, dedicated man, uh, very devoted to ministry. I got to visit there a year or two later. He started before I visited, hmm. got to visit there, and that's where I got COVID. Yeah. Um, went with it to Liberia. The infamous but COVID trip. He got it at the same time, actually, and had suffered just about the same as I did. But we now have 14 sites in Ivory Coast with a total of 305 students. Hmm. And some have graduated already and are working on a plan to start churches. So we're excited about what's happening there. They're using the French edition. Wow. So really, uh, you know, a lot of people, when they think about uh, education, it, it, they immediately go to monetization. You know, how can we, how can we make money off of this? Mm-hmm. But the Shepherds Global Classroom idea is really making theological education available to the very poor. Mm-hmm. people that could not afford a theological education really any other way, yeah. but then helping them to be able to, um, to have the tools that they need to, at a very basic level, to be able to, to train pastors, to train leaders, and then to spread this to, to others who can do the same thing. Mm-hmm. What uh, I know we had conversations back when you were in Indianapolis still about this whole idea of, of, of a shepherd's global classroom. But talk about the genesis of that, because I know you were instrumental mm-hmm. in, in really helping get that that started uh, mm-hmm. at first, and it's really grown into something amazing. Yeah, and, and I know it's a different it's a different hat. It's one of the many hats you wear. Mm-hmm. But uh, talk about the genesis of that. How did that come about? Well, I've worked in Bible colleges for a long time. UBC taught a little bit at some of the others. We worked in a Bible college in Kiev, mm-hmm. and so I love that environment and what can happen there. The the uh, cultivation, yeah. besides the training, the cultivation of spirituality that happens in those places. The only problem is most people in ministry around the world will never have the chance to attend a Bible college. Exactly. Even in their own country, they will not have the chance. And we're meeting people, even denominations that have Bible colleges, but most of their pastors never get the chance to go. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when a person enters ministry, he already has a family. Mm-hmm. The cost of maintaining a Bible college is enormous. I visited one in the country of Belarus. They had this huge, magnificent building that I don't know who invested and made that all happen, but somebody had a vision of starting a great training center. But by the time I visited, they had been existing for several years. They had 12 students. Wow. In a building that could have housed 1,000, they had 12 students because they had just become, they were not able to sustain mm-hmm. the burden, and everybody else studied by extension. And so many of these places, the the cost of it is just prohibitive besides the distance. Mm -hmm. You have one central location, just like we found in Liberia. People can't travel for hours, several hours to come cross country to attend class. And so it needs to be local, needs to be where they are. So some of us had been talking about it for a while. It was Tim Keep 
with Bible Methodists that really put together a plan to get it going. Mm -hmm. And so I think probably the first serious meeting was with him and me and Randall McElwain. Mm. And we sat down together and talked about this. He got the Bible Methodist missions to commit to hiring Randall and I to start writing. And so for at least two years or so, that's all we were doing. Mm -hmm. That was the beginning was to produce some courses because we thought it's a dream right now. Mm -hmm. We don't have anything to show right now except the dream. And so we really need some courses to lay on the table. Mm -hmm. I remember then a meeting we had at IHC a year or two in when we sat down with some mission leaders and had some courses to spread on the table. Mm. And it was just interesting to even to see their faces like, wow, this is becoming real. This, this, mm -hmm. this exists. And so we began to make them available as we continued to write. It's a set of 20, and each one is a pretty hefty. They average about 180, 200 pages each mm -hmm. and designed to be easy to teach. We can train people to use them very rapidly. And so we can set up a training program almost overnight if we have spiritually mature people, if they do have some Bible college education already, the ones who are going to teach and train, that really helps. Sure. We can do things with it that we never could have done before. And we have created ministries for some people that, ministries that did not exist before. Mm -hmm. There are people that it's their ministry now to travel around to places and teach groups and they're equipped with this and just they have a very fulfilling and exciting life doing this, something that would not have been possible before. Yeah. And translated into how many languages now? Are you you're working on We several, are working know, but... on more than thirty languages. Wow. Some are almost done, some are just getting started. Yeah. So a, a huge swath of the world's unreached populations could be served with courses like this, training leaders that could be working in their in their areas. Yeah, I think with the languages we are covering, it would be at least half of the world's population would wow. be represented. So languages like Russian and Arabic and Spanish, those would take in a huge number. Mm -hmm. We're also doing, of course, French would be would cover much of Africa. Mm -hmm. Kiswahili, uh, commonly called Swahili, but Kiswahili, it takes in millions of people as well. So uh, I know one of the challenges in missions is just the sheer volume of unreached people. Mm -hmm. um, the statistics that I heard is that uh, 3 billion people um, today will live and die without ever hearing the name of Jesus one time, without ever hearing the gospel message. Mm -hmm. uh, at our current rate of missions, um, that's where we are, mm -hmm. is that uh, we, we have such an enormous population and there are just not enough workers mm -hmm. to be able to reach the, the people who are unreached. Mm -hmm. And so really motivating and training and developing the masses, the, the mm -hmm. poor, and, and setting them free to be able to, to be trained and to use the, their God-given ability right. um, is, is really key in this, isn't it? Right. As Jesus said, the harvest is great and the laborers are few, and that is still definitely the case. And that three billion population, it's, these are areas of the world where they're almost completely a certain religion like like Islam or mm -hmm. Buddhism. And so if a country is 88 or 90 percent of that religion, it means many communities are 100 percent mm -hmm. of that religion. And so people live out their whole lives. They may know that Christians exist. They may hear the name of Jesus, but they don't know what it really means. They don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. They may never have a conversation with a Christian where they can ask any questions. 
mm-hmm. and many of them, the culture is so integrated with the religion that they don't even imagine that they have an individual choice to choose their religion. Mm-hmm. They don't even think that they could decide what they're going to be religiously. So those are the biggest, those are the big challenges for the gospel. Yeah. And another number, um, some people have trouble imagining these huge numbers because they seem unreal and impersonal. But to me, it gives us some idea of the scope of the task. Uh, 60,000 people will die today in those areas where they probably did mm. not hear the gospel in their lifetime, and 60,000 tomorrow and 60,000 the, the next day. So that gives us some sense of the urgency and the greatness of the harvest. And so when you think on that kind of scale, it makes us realize we can never be satisfied with the small plans or or to work at things that don't have the potential for going farther and mm-hmm. reaching more broadly. And so an illustration we like to use is the Uber illustration. Mm-hmm. Uber moves five and a half million passengers every day. And back in the old days, the way a taxi company would start, they would have to have enough capital to buy a lot of cars, paint them all the same color, and put their name on them. Mm-hmm. which really very much resembles what mission methods have mm-hmm. been like. Yeah. But Uber didn't do it that way. Instead, they said there are already drivers there with cars, so let's have them carry our passengers for us. And they had a lot of snags. They had a lot of challenges, but they have ultimately succeeded. And mm-hmm. they really they solved the labor problem for their business, the problem of how do we have thousands of drivers with cars around the world, and then they solved that. Well, we have a labor problem in missions, mm-hmm. and I think we can copy something from Uber. We can train the Christians who are already near the unreached. Yeah. And there are Christians in almost every country. They may be few. Many times the churches there are not very evangelistic. They're, they're so intimidated by their culture mm-hmm. and an, an antagonistic religion that they don't have much of a vision for church planting. They don't know how to answer the questions of their friends and neighbors. Yeah. And so a little bit of equipping can have a tremendous effect in those places and can help us to raise up a labor force for the harvest to reach bigger numbers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and there are so many places that they can go that a uh, American can't go. Sure. You know, so many of these places are closed countries, Mm-hmm. at least close to, uh, you know, Western access. And yet, as we as we work with and train leaders, they're able to, to reach places that we can never reach. Right. An American is viewed with great suspicion in many countries. You take the former Soviet Union countries, mm-hmm. many of the Arab countries. They, If an American is there, they will be watched and monitored all the time. Mm-hmm. And then besides the fact that just for people to know that you came over there with the purpose of changing their religion, that mm-hmm. is outrageous to them. And and evangelism may be just outright illegal. Mm-hmm. To share the gospel with somebody uh, could be illegal. To print our courses in many countries is illegal. In some of the countries where we are doing it, it's illegal. And so the people who are at work there for, for doing ministry training, they are taking risks mm. to do that. But they have a lot higher chance of getting by with it than an American would. Sure. So what do you see as being kind of the, the next steps for Shepherds Global and this kind of satellite idea and reaching out to new places? Talk about that. What comes next? Well, we are deluged with requests and opportunities. There's no shortage of that. And so we're having to think, what is the most strategic? What is the, mm-hmm. the thing we can do that has the most potential? And so Liberia was a new model for us. I thought, well, we'll probably do that same thing in other places. 
Ivory Coast has turned out to be a little different. So in Liberia, we, we bought a place. We built a central institute. In Ivory Coast, we do have a central institute, but we're renting a place. We don't have mm-hmm. numerous hired staff. And then as we've continued to go into new places, the most recent one was Tanzania. We got to meet with bishops from many different um, denominations mm-hmm. that wanted to do training. And so one denomination alone, they have 5,500 churches mm. in their denomination. They operate five small Bible colleges, but most of their pastors never get to go. Mm-hmm. They don't have a way of funding these Bible colleges to make it free, and the pastors cannot afford to support it. And so most never get to go. And they said, you know, other programs, they're either in English mm. or they require too many other books. They're just, they've never had anything. And so when I was able to put in front of them a stack of courses in Swahili, mm. they were so excited about that. And so I had meetings with bishops in different cities and went back. The third trip was when we scheduled the big training, and we had 50 trainees that came. Most of them were bishops hmm. from various denominations. So they represented at least 10,000 churches, hmm. probably much more than that. And we went through three days of intensive training. Randall McElwain was with me, Marika Herrera, and Glenn Galt. And we did three days teaching them the teaching methods of how to use the courses and then having them practice. Everybody got a chance to practice in small groups, and by the time they were halfway through, they were feeling able to teach Mm. the courses. Since then, we have set up offices in three cities, Mm -hmm. Mwanza, Dar es Salaam, and Dodoma. And so we have a person in each, and we were going to print in one place. We're just going to have a printing printing press in one place, and then they would send courses to the other. Well, we got the first one set up. That was in Mwanza, but then in Dodoma... uh, we're getting strong response and they were telling us, well, we're going to right away, we're going to need 1600 copies of courses. So we realized, okay, we're not going to be able to print on that scale and be sending them across country. Sure. So we set up our second printing operation in Dodoma. And since then we've gone ahead and set up the third in Dar es Salaam. We're excited. This, as far as sheer numbers of people impacted, this may be the biggest yet. It's a, they have, it's a country of 50 million people Hmm. and, we're really excited. It, and it's another model. It's it's a new model. Instead of having a strong central institute with trainers, we just have basically secretaries. Mm-hmm. And the leadership is going to be not from us, but from these bishops that are going to set up their own training centers. And we just f- help facilitate. Mm-hmm. We, we just give consultation mm-hmm. and print the courses, and they will run the training centers. So th- there's just really a, a lot of different ways, it sounds like, that that these tools can be implemented and, and used in terms mm-hmm. of, like you said, there's there's multiple models that you've been able to develop between mm-hmm. Liberia, Ivory Coast, and now Tanzania. As you move forward into new places, what are some of the challenges that you see of, of trying to do this? Well, the first thing is to have strong contacts in the country that work with a network, mm-hmm. not necessarily a denomination, but a network of churches throughout the country. And so we try to move forward as that develops. And that's why, so for Tanzania, it took three trips. On the third one is when we did the actual launching and training. First trip was just to meet some pastors and find out if they're interested. Second trip was to uh, get denominational leaders together and sit down with them and make sure they were really going to endorse and use this. And then when they did, they said, yes, we will. Then we set up the official training to launch. It's expensive and time-consuming to do that, but it would have been a waste to try to do all that with one trip. Right. 
And so those are challenges. Now, doctrinally, we really don't get much challenge. Sometimes they'll ask some questions and they'll want to make sure that they're going to be able to get along with what we are, are teaching. Mm-hmm. But many of the people we're working with, they're just trying to be biblical. Right. And they just want to know that we're biblical. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's not a challenge. And, and the of course, making it locally sustainable is a big thing. When we first, you know, even in the training in Tanzania, they're asking us, so where are you going to operate your school? Mm-hmm. And how are you going to pay for this and that? And I said, no, wait a minute. We're not going to operate schools. Mm-hmm. You're going to have schools. You'll have your own teachers and you decide how you're going to pay them. And you use your own buildings that you already have. So there's no rent, uh, but we're here to equip you, it, it, but it's your ministry. We're here to equip you. You don't work for me. I work for you, but you don't have to pay me. And so that's a mindset. Mm-hmm. And there would be some places where they would just dismiss it. Okay, well, we're not interested in that. We're, we're interested in starting something that Americans will come and pay for, but those people we can't go very far with. Right. We're looking for people that are passionate about evangelism, passionate about building their local ministry. And if, if they have that, we, we can work with them. So are there any things that people could do to get involved with this and be a part of, of what, what you're trying to do on, on all these different fronts? Well, I would encourage somebody first to get acquainted with the courses. Yeah. Where do they, and, where do they go to get that? Well, there's a website, shepherdsglobal.org, and they're all available for download there. There's also an app. And so if you just look up Shepherds Global Classroom, in either the Apple Store or Android. It's in both places. And you can download the app, and it's free. So great price. And you can have all the courses right there. And right now it's just English, but we have smart young people around the world working on getting stuff ready to where it'll go in in these other languages. Mm -hmm. And we're excited about that because especially in restricted countries, imagine where it's illegal to print and some places where they're afraid to carry them around, Mm -hmm. they can have it on an app. And so that'll be great. So that that's what I would say first, mm-hmm. get involved that way. As we go on, there will be chances for people to take classes, be taught mm-hmm. by somebody. We'll have these classes operating all over. Tim has been teaching for a while a group that the students are from at least five or six countries, maybe a lot more than that. Wow. But people all over the world that are in this class at the same time. Hmm. And last I knew he was going through the Romans course. I think yeah. he may be in another one now. That's just a pilot program. We could we could set up a thousand teachers around the world teaching in all different languages, and people could sign up and attend them live or listen to them recorded later. There's just all kinds of potential. We're we're still bursting with ideas. It takes time to implement it, uh, get the technology all functioning, but yeah. it's exciting. Well, it is exciting, and uh, I just uh, I really appreciate you. Uh, breaking this ground and and being willing to push ahead with this, you know, there's there's been a lot of challenges I'm sure along the way, and mm-hmm. as there is with anything that's uh, worth doing, it it doesn't come, uh, it doesn't come easy, and yet uh, the the opportunity really to be able to empower uh, leaders, ministry leaders among the poor, mm-hmm. to be able to do what God is calling them to do, I think is is one of the most exciting things today because it really does at least for me, give hope that we can, we can make a difference yes. in this, uh, in this in- amazing and incredible need of, mm-hmm. of 3 billion people currently that at our current rate of missions will not be reached. Right. That's just, uh, an amazing and overwhelming number. And as you mentioned, 60,000 people every day, um, that are passing away, um, in these, in these places. 
So really harnessing the, the power of the masses and seeing the, the work of God among them as it just spreads like wildfire, mm-hmm. um, and then having trained pastors that are really developing solid churches that are missional in nature mm-hmm. uh, really has just tremendous potential for the future. Right. And really, we're putting our faith in what the Spirit of God does in the local church. Yeah. So we believe that God gives gifts to mm-hmm. the local church and that they don't really need much from us as far as to be there and to guide them and control them. We just want to equip them, give yeah. them something to use. I was in a church sometime back and I saw a young man over, he was playing the drums and he was just pounding away and just very talented and so on. And I, I looked at that and I thought, you know, there's one or two of those guys probably in just about every church, maybe mm-hmm. a few more. I couldn't do that. A few lessons would not make a drummer like that out of me, but there are those guys around. Mm -hmm. And the same way, there are a few people there that have teaching ability and are gifted by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I don't know if drum playing is a gift of the Spirit or not, (laughs) but it's some kind of talent. Yeah. But God gives that to the church, this teaching ability. And so we don't travel around looking for students. We travel around looking for teachers. Mm. We look for people that we can equip to do the work that God has given them. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for taking time. I appreciate it. And uh, as always, uh, if you've got any questions, feel free to uh, reach out to us here. You can uh, you can email me if you've got questions about anything we've talked about here on the podcast. A couple other websites that you can go to, efmmissions.org. And as he mentioned, uh, shepherdsglobal.org as well. And uh, it's, a, it's a great work, and um, I'm glad to uh, be a little tiny part of it. So thanks for taking time, Steve. You're welcome.